Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. Uniting coaches at every level of the game around the love of the game. We are United Soccer Coaches. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and a big time show for you today. Hank Steinbrecher, who seemed to be at the tipping point of all the key moments for U.S. soccer from the early 80s right through the early. Early 2000s, Hank Steinbrecher, longtime Secretary General. Of course, Hank Steinbrecher helped create with other really smart people the Gatorade Shower. You'll hear that story. Hank Steinbrecher is now out in Arizona. He's dealing with a little bit of health issues. He talks about that, but his attitude is refreshing. His mind as sharp as ever. Since we were on memory lane, and by the way, Hank Steinbrecher was joined by Jim Froslid, who worked with me at U.S. Soccer. I was the 94 U.S. World Cup team press officer. Jim followed me up for the 98 World Cup, and he is very close with Hank Steinbrecher. In fact, all three of his kids, Hank is like a pseudo-grandfather. He's a godfather to some or most of them. So I wanted Jim to be on as well to kind of share the walk down memory road with Hank Steinbrecher and also get Hank's candid comments on the current state of U.S. soccer as Hank is so eloquent in everything he does. I think you'll enjoy that. And since we're on memory lane, another man that worked with both Jim and I and worked under Hank is Tom Meredith. He is always buzzing around. He admittedly is slowing down a little bit as well. He's thinking about retirement. I just can't imagine Tom Meredith retired, but he was the longtime director of operations, for lack of a better word, for U.S. soccer for so many years, did so many World Cups, so many Olympics, so many big CONCACAF games, too many to count, although he probably has the exact number right down to the final minutiae detail. That's the kind of man Tom Meredith is. And I will say, as we talk about with Hank, Tom has mellowed as he's gotten a little bit older in age I guess you could say and it's been a really nice mellow I think you'll enjoy my time with Tom Meredith as well he has seen a lot so Hank Steinbrecher and Jim Froslid joins in on that call and then Tom Meredith and it begins after this message from Team Snap stay with us does managing your club or league feel like a second job if so you might need some help with Team Snap you can get it their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with TeamSnap. Go to TeamSnap.com slash NSCAA1. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. I am Dean Linky, delighted to be with you for this special show as we spend the majority of the show with Hank Steinbrecher, longtime Secretary General at U.S. Soccer, amongst other great honors. He's in the U.S. Soccer Hall of Fame. He's won the Honor Award. You'll hear that in a moment as I set the table by reading the introductory speech I gave 
for Hank a couple years ago when he was the honorary All-American for the All-America presentation at the 2019 convention in Chicago. Hank Steinbrecher, after him, it'll be Tom Meredith, who also worked for U.S. Soccer during my time there. And Jim Froslid was with me at U.S. Soccer. I met him first for a friendly USA against East Germany in Milwaukee. We stayed in touch, eventually hired him at U.S. Soccer. And after the 94 World Cup, when I went to Major League Soccer, Jim became the U.S. Soccer press officer he was the 98 U.S. World Cup team press officer. Of course, if you remember, I was the 94 team press officer. Now, before we get to our visit with Hank and then the interview I had with Tom Meredith, I was able to get Jim and Hank to agree that a good way to start this off was to, in fact, go back and find my introduction of Hank as a great way to segue for folks because you know what even you youngsters out there if you don't know Hank Steinbrecher you probably should and hopefully this introduction that I gave of Hank will help you now introducing me was the legendary Dr. Ray Seaflake who has been the host of the All-America Awards and also the Coaches Honor Awards the night before something that I co-host with him over the last several years and he was kind enough to introduce me and after he did I said you know, listen, not only do I want to congratulate all of our All-Americans, I want to thank you, too. You make what I do as a broadcaster a dream job. I'm talking to the kids now. You're excellent at what you do, and you should know that you bring joy not to just your parents and family, but everyone who watches you, including me. From there, I segued into the introduction by starting like this. I said, now, I know it's indeed a different era we live in today with social media and immediate satisfaction, immediate answers. But having just read The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, I kindly ask for your attention, including your youngsters, as I introduce our honorary All-America. Now, Gladwell defines a tipping point as, quote, the moment of critical mass, the threshold, the boiling point to a great or moving moment, end quote. Now, I know and realize that soccer has never been bigger in our country right now. 75,000 on a regular basis in Atlanta, MLS Cup success, the women winning back-to-back -back World Cups. But the real tipping point for soccer in this country, I believe, came in the late 80s and the early 90s. The U.S. men qualified for the World Cup for the first time in 40 years. Remember, the last time they had gone before 1990 was 1950. The U.S. women won the first World Cup in 1991 in China. No one really knew about it. And our country hosted the Men's World Cup in 1994. Now, one man who helped stir the straw for all of it is the man I'm going to introduce as our honorary All-America. And speaking of tipping points, he was really my first ever boss at the U.S. Soccer Federation. Very much a personal tipping point for me, and I'm the better for it. In fact, everyone who has ever played with, been coached by, or worked with is the better for it. And even Jim Froslid, who will co-host the interview with Hank, will say the same. As I continued on my speech, I said, and to be fair, this man has been a part of too many tipping points to count. His tipping point in regard to his love affair with soccer began as a youth growing up in New York. A pretty clear tipping point that this man is a winner was demonstrated at Davis and Elkin College in Elkins, West Virginia, where he was a member of the school's 1970 NAIA National Championship team. He began his coaching career at Warren Wilson College, coached at App State in North Carolina from 78 to 80, and at Boston University from 80 to 84. 
During that time, Hank Steinbrecher was working in athletic director roles, getting involved in the Olympics, and showing that he could handle the bright lights of big business. And no matter the era, pre-Twitter or post, all of you know what it means to get a Gatorade shower after a championship. Well, Hank Steinbrecher was the director of sports marketing at Quaker Oats, stirring the straws, one of many tipping points for the Gatorade shower and a powerful worldwide brand. From there, it was time to lead U.S. soccer as our secretary general, a job he held from 1990, a tipping point leader, as I said already, for the 94 Men's World Cup, the 96 Olympic soccer competition in Atlanta, the 1999 Women's World Cup, and our Brandy Chastain moment at the Rose Bowl, all of them tipping points. This man is a member of the U.S. Soccer National Hall of Fame, the New England Soccer Hall of Fame, the Eastern New York Soccer Hall of Fame, the North Carolina Soccer Hall of Fame, the West Virginia Soccer Association Hall of Fame, and probably 10 more Hall of Fames that I haven't mentioned. In 2005, he was also presented the United Soccer Coaches Honor Award, the association's highest honor, which recognizes the career of a person whose work has enhanced the soccer game in our country as a whole. He was and is the most passionate leader I have ever worked for. And he taught me to be passionate, to work hard, to be an entrepreneur, but to do it the right way. But folks, as I look at so many beautiful, talented young faces right now, with I hope great anticipation to hear Hank Steinbrecher's message, without question, the one and only tipping point that means the most to our honorary All-American is his family his children. He and his wife have two amazing sons. One is saving lives every day as an emergency trauma physician. The other is defending our country every day as a former Navy SEAL. Ladies and gentlemen, the United Soccer Coaches Honorary All-American and without question, at the top of the tipping point of soccer in our country, Mr. Hank Steinbrecher. Now, Hank, I got to tell you, I know that uh, you're a humble man, but thanks for letting me read that introduction again. It gives me chills just as it did a couple years ago. I hope you feel the same. Well, if you loved reading it, you can only imagine how much I love hearing it. <laughs> well, I don't think it's particularly true. Uh, there are so many people involved in so many junctures along that way uh, that, that I certainly wasn't uh, the catalyst for all of that. Uh, but it was a, a lifetime of pleasure working in that environment. Jim, I feel like it'll be pretty easy to get a second from you on all of Hank's accomplishments. What do you think? Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, he uh, he's inspired a lot of people in our game. Well, make no mistake, Jim, uh, as uh, you and I both know, part of that uh, inspiration of Hank was one of the reasons we wanted to go down memory lane with him. And then also, to be fair, and Hank Steinbrecher is kind enough to talk about it, we also know that uh, Hank has been dealing with some health issues, health issues that are not only concerning to Jim and I, but to each and every one of us that have come across or worked with Hank or knows Hank. When you do that, you love him and then you care about him. So with that uh, kind of as the back Backdrop, Hank, you were kind enough to address your health issue right off the bat, so I'll give you the floor. Well, certainly it is not as good as I would hope it to be at this juncture. Uh, I've had uh, significant heart disease most of my life, and uh, it has been progressively worse and worse and worse. And uh, the pacemaker in uh, 2001 
uh, all sorts of things working on the heart and kidneys. Uh, and I was recently diagnosed with a disease, a very rare genetic disorder inherited from my mom called Fabre's disease, which uh, stops an enzyme being produced that eliminates fat from basically your heart and from your kidney and from your nervous system. Uh, so you have a lot of the similar symptoms of someone who has heart failure. Uh, and it, it's a progressive disease. There are some treatments now that we're investigating that may slow that disease down, uh, but certainly would not eliminate it. Uh, the doctors have told me that I uh, need to be on the transplant list for a heart and a kidney, uh, but unfortunately I don't qualify to be on that list because of my age. So we're going to leave this in the hands of the Lord, and I'm going to work as hard as I can. Uh, trying to stay as healthy as I can for as long as I can uh, with diet and with exercise and uh, with spirit. So that's about the size of it. Well, one follow-up to that, and we know that your spirit is large, and I think you're already sensing the spirit of all of your friends and family is also large. What has it meant to, to know that almost every day you hear from them, Hank? You know, when I was working at U.S. Soccer, uh, it, it wasn't a great salary. I started work there for like a hundred grand after leaving the Quaker Oats company as a vice president. Uh, so it took a, a hit in the salary and we never really had very much money. Uh, but I have an embarrassment of riches, uh, in the number of friends that I count and in the people that I cherish and that I love. And when you, you look at end of life situations, you think about that. And it, that's far more valuable than any uh, any dollar sign. And I'm <clears throat> I'm brought to tears often by it. We're here with Hank Steinbrecher and Jim Froslid. Jim Froslid and I shared an office together. Jim Froslid did not make any copies for me, not one. I want to point that out as well. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim, I'll let uh, you ask the first question to Jim as you think about some of those big moments that I just mentioned, but to get uh, Hank's perspective on some historical moments in U.S. soccer history. Well, I think maybe a good place to start because we, you know, a lot of this started in the 90s and uh, when Hank first uh, joined U.S. soccer. Uh, Hank, what would you say the biggest difference is uh, about U.S. soccer between the time you were there in the 90s uh, till now? What would you say are some of the biggest oh, uh Well, I'll disagree with you a little bit, Jim because I think that the turning point of soccer in the modern era, we've had many good eras of soccer throughout our history, but in the modern era, that occurred in 84 when we hosted the Olympic tournament. And Alan Rothenberg was the commissioner of soccer for the Olympics under Peter Ubroff. Uh, I worked directing one of the venues for that uh, event, but we sold a million three hundred thousand tickets. And FIFA, who thought we were some backwater country, came over. And I remember sitting with uh, Sepp Blatter, who was the general secretary at the time, in the Tribune during the final between France and Brazil, and him saying, something is really happening here. And I think that went back with uh, Dr. Havelange, and uh, they decided that the United States needs a stimulus of a World Cup. Uh, and that, that began the process. And then, of course, we were awarded the World Cup to be held here in 1994 with the proviso that we start a professional league. 
So it started back then. But the major differences really, Jim, are professionalization. Uh, U.S. soccer, primarily in the 80s, were very, very well-intentioned people, didn't have a lot of money to build any infrastructure. So the majority of the work was volunteer-based. And because of that, it, sometimes it was haphazard and had, uh, you know, less accountability than someone who was working full-time. Uh, we were able at that time to turn that paradigm around, uh, to hire up staff, uh, professionalize the office, make a push to professionalize youth offices, amateur offices. Uh, so I think that the professional upgrade off the field uh, has been phenomenal. The second biggest change is fans. Uh, I saw a complete turnaround or tipping point, as Jim would say, in the German World Cup where we played uh, – Italy in Kaiserslautern, and uh, by far the American support was greater than the, the Italian support in that match, and that has not ceased. I mean, right now we're in a little bit of a downturn. We're in a slump. Uh, we have to win back those fans. We have to win back our passion, uh, but I, I see that coming through in the future, and I'm proud as hell of the uh, MLS and the job Don Garber's done. Outstanding. Let me ask you, you know, you, you've been somebody that has, uh, in your position as Secretary General, you know, you met heads of state, you've been in some of the biggest meccas of soccer in the world, you've met some of the greatest players in the world. Is there anything that you miss about your old job? National anthem before the game. Nothing feels like that. Uh, you know, I get, I can get my fix watching a game. I can go out and watch an eight-year-old team play and have as much joy in my heart watching that as I do a national team play. Uh, different kinds of levels, but I enjoy I enjoy the game so much that it just is a thing of beauty to me at any level. Uh, may sound very, very strange, but uh, I get my fix watching the game and watching it on television, going out seeing youth soccer games. We have a professional team here, FC Tucson. I'm a season ticket holder for that and a big supporter of that process. So, uh, uh, there, there, there are certain things I do miss about it, but, Jim, quite honestly, there are things that I don't miss about it. And that, that was my next question. On the contrary, what don't you miss? I don't miss labor management negotiations. Uh, it, that always is a stressful uh, time. Uh, I, while I enjoyed the players, uh, the infrastructure of U.S. soccer is uh, very political. And I don't miss the uh, political machinations that you have to go through as a leader. Now, Hank, one of those was the first kind of run through with the women. I think you actually even dealt with maybe a small strike with the men before the World Cup, if I remember being with some B-team players down in South and Central America. But I guess the thing <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so you got that one and then the women, and now the women are going again, so – Reflect on those two processes of what you just said about your least favorite part of the job, and then, if you could, kind of rift into what uh, you think is going on with the women right now. You just saw like $66 million is the number that they're claiming, for lack of a better word, to be in default. So, you know, reflect on going through those two processes with the men, and then, really, you were right in the middle of the women the first time around, and then, again, rift on what's going on now. Well, you know, hindsight can be it can have a clarifying effect. <clears throat> so I I will admit that during my tenure, 
uh, I was very passionate, but also very emotionally involved in the process, where I should have been much more uh, emotionally removed. So a lot of my judgment back then was based on what I felt and not just necessarily what I thought. So you have to view this as an evolution of the growth of the game. Uh, before coming on board, our players, my coming on board, our players in some cases were making $15 a day per diem, and that was it. So I saw the investment that the Federation was making in these players as really, really significant, while the players and their agents uh, thought that, well, we were taking advantage of the players and that they weren't getting their fair share. The difficulty in both the men's and the women's side are that the primary driving revenue sources may be the national teams, but the Federation's responsibility is really the junior teams. So who has to pay the bill for when a player is under 17 or under 14 national team or under 23 national team? Who has to pay those tariffs? Who has to pay those bills? It's the Federation. And while now the revenues are are much higher, uh, it means that the stakes are much higher. It's a very very difficult process. And of course, I had to, I did, and I wanted to uh, represent management and uh, in the labor negotiations. What What do you think should be done uh, as the women are screaming for equal pay and a lot of other issues? Well, I think it's a long time coming. I think that their their counselor. Uh, has had uh, a uh, a long series of battles with our sport, and I think that some of this has been being driven there. Uh, he's very good, Kessler. He's very good, very very good, uh, very smart and very aggressive. I, I think ultimately what's going to have to happen uh, one of two things: they're going to settle before this, or it's going to go to court, <clears throat> and it's going to cost everybody more money. Uh, and I'm, I wonder if some things could have been done to eliminate the tension that now exists there earlier on. And I think that the Federation had some obligations that maybe we didn't, uh, or opportunities that we didn't capitalize on uh, in terms of what are the travel uh, restrictions for the men and the women, or how do they travel, are they charters, are they coach class, are they business class, what kind of hotels you're staying in, uh, all of that kind of stuff. But you also have to remember in thinking about all this that the women's team and the men's team have vastly different player contracts. Uh, and uh, so there, there's, it's going to be a very, very difficult case. I just think some of the tension may have been alleviated early on. So, Hank, as a follow-up to your thoughts on what the women are going through, how about a big-picture glass house? point of view on U.S. soccer and some of the leadership issues they're dealing with? Uh, yeah, I have to say that uh, that I am a bit concerned about it. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we've been without a general secretary uh, for about a year and a half. While Dan was still there, it's been a year and a half ago that he said that he was going to depart. Uh, and in that position, that particular position, uh, it's the leadership of the organization, the staff, and the sport. So whether you're in the leadership position of president or the general secretary, and I've thought about this a lot over the years, 
there are three primary factors that you must take into consideration when you're making decisions on behalf of the of the game and the, the institution. The first is you have to think like a businessman because you are running a big business. And if you destroy the business, then nothing works. So you have to make decisions predicated upon business imperatives. The second is that you live in a very political environment. U.S. soccer is a very political organization. So you have to make decisions predicated upon political expediency and political matters. Who votes for whom? That's, that's in the decision-making process. And the third, but the most important, is you have to have the culture of the sport in America in your heart. You must have it deep in your soul because the ultimate decision-maker has to be what's the good of the game. So when you put all of those three criteria together, and you, you think about those three criteria when you're making your decisions, I think we would be really better served. And, and I'd like to see more of good of the game involved. Amen to that, right, Frosty? For sure, for sure. You know, switching gears a little bit over to youth development, what do you feel are some of our greatest obstacles now in our country as we look at youth development and where it's uh, where it started and where where it is now. Well, I'm going to say something that's probably pretty radical to you, but uh, and many people may not like to hear it. Uh, but the federation for the last 30 years <clears throat> has been in a position where they they have had to be the catalyst for developing young players uh, through our youth development programs, whether it's DA, whether it's old ODP programs, the state associations. And it's a, what I found out is, is that it's a false narrative that uh, the only way to develop youth talent is economic incentive. Uh, the MLS is doing that now. We're starting to see a lot more of that right now. But in the long run, that's how soccer players are developed around the world. It's not from a federation holding an ODP class or, or a development academy. It's for the professionals to be involved and for the professionals to say, okay, this kid at 13 years old or 12 year olds looks very promising. We're going to bring him on into an educational environment and a soccer environment and uh, develop him, sign him, develop him some more, and then sell him. Uh, that's the market. And some people may want, not want to admit that. Uh, but as I see it, that's the market. Economic incentives. Uh, is the only way. And if you look at the other popular sports in the United States, that's clearly the view. I mean, uh, why do I get involved in the NBA? Why do I get involved in the uh, NFL? Uh, it's economic incentive. Here with Hank Steinbrecher, such a delight to spend time with him, a leader at U.S. Soccer and a great friend to United Soccer Coaches Forever, as we mentioned, the Honor Award and also, we're talking a little bit about uh, Hank and uh, some of his health issues. That's probably the reason you weren't at the recent convention, Hank. But knowing right now, particularly in today's era, U.S. soccer, United soccer coaches, they're not playing quite as friendly. It's still pretty good, but there's a little bit of a, a ripple-down effect on the whole licensing and certification and that type of thing. But talk about uh, why United soccer coaches was always an important part of your makeup in the game. 
uh, a, a fundamental part of my life, I may add. Not, not necessarily just important to me. Uh, <clears throat> I was a player. I was very influenced by my coaches, Warren Swanson and Greg Myers. And what I wanted to do when I got out of a playing environment, there was no professional opportunities for me. Uh, what I wanted to do was coach. Uh, and my, my coach, Greg Myers, knew this. And in 1969, 1970, when I was a senior, uh, he took me to my first coaching convention, which was at the Commodore Hotel in New York. Uh, and I've gone back almost oh, every year since so then. Hey, coming up after this, I was able to sit down with Tom Meredith. During the early years for Jim and I, he was laser-focused, and sometimes he'd run right through you. But now he's much more uh, retrospective, I guess would be the right word, and I appreciate that. He's become a little teddy bear in his own way, and I think part of that is him watching people that worked under him go on to do some pretty good things. Of course, Amber Steele comes to mind, among others. But, you know, for you, you think about uh, some of the people that uh, were under your wings at U.S. Soccer and their personal growth. What does that mean to you today? Well, you know, you go through through your education thinking you're going to be a teacher and a coach, uh, and that's how you influence people. Uh, I, I think there are many, many people who are so many people that I'm proud of what they've done and where they've come through uh, either coaching or working at Gatorade or, uh, or U.S. soccer or, you know, for the last 20 years I've had my own consulting business. Uh, and thankfully it's been successful. Uh, but having other people take the mantle is, is very important. It's a lesson you learn when you first start to coach, because your first game as a coach, you're on the sideline and you're heading every ball, you're kicking every ball, you want to tell your players, do this, do that, uh, and then you mature and you try to educate players to do certain things in certain situations. Uh, <clears throat> so I think the, the more maturity you had, and now I'm certainly a very mature guy, uh, looking back and seeing in retrospect how well so many people have done. I mean, my gosh, uh, it's it's legioned, and uh, uh, just, Tom Meredith is a good example. Although putting Tom Meredith and Teddy Bear in the same sentence is oxymoronic. Uh, <laughs> they, that was a stretch. That, 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 that does not equate. But we, you know, we have we have a program of which uh, a loose uh, organization of which both of you belong to, and it's called the FedExers, the Federation Xers. And there are lots of them, and we find them everywhere, and not just within soccer, but everywhere. So I'm, I'm very, uh, very pleased about that. And I'm also, I have to tell you, I'm very pleased about what I perceived as having a staff that was full of fun and full of energy and super enthusiastic to come to work every day. Uh, you know, it was a great time. You're building up for a World Cup and then a Women's World Cup. Uh, so uh, it was a great time and a lot of fun. I mean, we you have to admit, boys, we had a great time when we were there. Well, we did have little shenanigans. It was all Jim Froslett. I had nothing to do with it, but uh, I think one of the yeah, I doubt that. that I doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> one of the great stories that uh, Jim talks about is the parking story. Jim, as you think about that with you, I, and Hank on this call, it's worth uh, – it's worth recalling, isn't it, Frosty? Yeah, I think it, it's always good to rehash it. We've said it a few times, but 
it started with a phone call, I remember that, from you to me, where you invited me to a Bears game <laughs> on a Sunday, and we decided that we would uh, very conveniently park our car at Soccer House because it was just a, about a quarter of a mile over the bridge to Soldier Field, and we would get some free parking there. And we put our car in, in the lot, and we were getting ready to lock up the gate. And sure enough, uh, a car rolls up and he says, how much, uh, how much is it to park in your lot? And Dean and I looked at each other, you know, we're about 24 years old. We're making, uh, about $22,000 a year at U.S. Soccer. And we're thinking, well, uh, what do you think, Dean? And so I think we said it was about $20 a car. And the, we took the guy, the first guy's money and all of a sudden a stream of cars started to follow. And uh, and I I directed Dean to get out on the street, start waving cars in, and no you know no sooner we had the lot pretty close to full, except I, I look over at Dean and I see his his face turn completely white, and I'm like what's going on? What's wrong? What's wrong? And sure enough, I see a car that I recognize very well, the car of Vince Steinbrecher. Uh, coming in to park at Soccer House because he apparently had tickets to the Bears game with his wife, Ruth Ann. And, uh, and so now as this car is approaching me, I'm trying to figure out, geez, what do we say? What do I say? Because I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to lose my job. And uh, and so I, I the first thing I say to him, I, I go, only $5 for you. And I, I still knew I was in trouble. And sure enough, Dean and I uh, got together, and Hank brought us. And Hank, I'll let you kind of finish the story because you were the one that gave us a very uh, heartfelt lesson. Well, I remember the day really, 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 really well. So I put on a very angry face, and I call the boys over. Uh, what the hell are you guys doing? Um. I applaud your entrepreneurial spirit, but from next week on, donuts are on you. <laughs> Take all that money you have, and you're buying the rest of the staff donuts. I appreciate your entrepreneurial spirit, but we're not going to do this again. <laughs> and we we bought donuts, so we bought a lot. You of You damn well did buy donuts. <laughs> yeah. we, were, we were very popular uh, amongst the staff for that week. Yeah. Well, Hank, if you um. – as, as you are reflecting and you're getting these great calls from people that uh, want to wish you well as you try to do the best for your body and your heart and your mind and make the most out of it and make the most out of your time with your family and that type of thing, what, uh, two kind of two questions here. What are the things that are important to you right now? And then also, Hank, and it's kind of a tough segue, but, you know, I talked about tipping point. I said soccer icon. If you could, in just one sentence or so, how do you want people to remember you, you know, 10, 20 years from now? Uh, it's, it's really, really very simple. A guy who, who uh, loved his family, loved his faith, and loved his game. And that, that's it. Uh, you know, I'm very content with that. I'm at a good place in my mind uh, in terms of who I am, where I've been, what I've done, uh, and what's important. Uh, my family, uh, as you mentioned, I have I have two sons that I would like to grow up to be like. You know, the, these two guys are my heroes. Now, how many fathers have the ability to say that? It's just uh, highly unusual. 
Uh, I've got a wife of close to 50 years who we're closer now than we've ever been. Uh, so I'm at a very, very good place. And listen, I'm sure that history uh, will decide if I've affected the game or if I have not. Uh, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I know that I've tried to work hard to do it. I've tried to remain a gentleman throughout the whole process, and I have to say sometimes that was difficult. Uh, but I tried to keep to my, my morality. I tried to keep to my ethics, uh, and my integrity. And I think I have. And, uh, yeah, that's all you need to know. That's all you need before you go. That is, that is the perfect, uh, end right there. I want to thank my good friend Frosty, Jim Froslid, and of course the legendary Hank Steinbrecher for giving us some time, opening up his heart, and really for all you do. And I trust me, Hank, not that I have a big say, but uh, I think Jim will second it, and Jim jumped right in there with just a quick yes, sir, and that is history will remember you in exactly the way you want them to remember you. So I can assure you that, Jim, tell me you agree. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Undoubtedly. Hank Steinbrecher, you are a legend. We will... Stay close. We hope to see you soon and uh, keep on fighting the good fight. Thanks for being on the podcast and thanks for all you've done for the game and for United Soccer Coaches. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all of those things. You need help and who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches. Membership with United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. One of the things that you know that I love doing here as part of the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention every year on Podcast Row is it's some of the old memories and some of the new memories and really the great thing about United Soccer Coaches, they bring everybody together. I get to see Tom Meredith, who I broke in with, and Tom Meredith, if you see him, you'll recognize him because all of the games over the years, he was the guy running around crazy, making sure everything was in perfect order, got off on time, and got off in the right way, and uh, he's good at what he does. Tom Meredith, great to be with you. Linkster, always fun, man. It is always fun, Tom, and you like coming to this for the same reasons that I just talked about. You get to see a lot of old friends. You were just hanging out with Ted Howard, who's a legend, back in the old NASL days and still getting things done. Why do you love it so much? Why do you like coming to this? For very reason is you get to see folks you don't see in the normal course of the year, and it, it brings back memories. It's one of the few things that, that I look to that sort of, I'm not a very nostalgic guy, although we've had a lot of history between us, but when you come here and you see somebody it sort of you relive all those things like you and I together doing crazy stuff, mm -hmm. you know, back in the 90s and stuff. So can you when people ask you, can you pinpoint one of your favorite moments doing what you do? I mean, you get so caught up in the inertia that maybe you can't always enjoy it. Right. But are there a couple of moments that you did take the time to enjoy, Tom? Yeah, I wouldn't say enjoy, but I do remember <laughs> if and it's hard because they run together now. There's a lot of them. Right. <laughs> right. But. 
I can remember various games if, if it's about a stadium or whatever, like the 99 final with the women and hottest day I ever spent in my life. I went back home, back to the hotel. I'd been there since I saw the sun rise and set the day at the Rose Bowl. <laughs> and I went back and took, I took my shirt off and threw it out. Never wore it again. It was the hottest I've ever been. I think I lost weight that day. And, <laughs> but it was such a fantastic... Now, I'll tell you a quick story about that. It'll probably take up all your time. So, uh, I'm on. I don't. I've never taken the team bus in my years of being around national teams. And twice I've done it. Once was after the '94 men's game with Columbia, the 2-1 victory there. Took mm-hmm. it back to the hotel with Amber Steele, who you know very well. Yeah. And then I did it after the 99 game. The coaches were gone, Dusty and Dusty Hoffman and Tony. They had done something else. And I'd been there all day. I'm on the bus. We're going up the ramp at the Rose Bowl that you know very well. And there were a bunch of young Mexican uh, Hispanic kids at the top of the ramp. And I think it was Brandy. Might have been Julie. Oh, can we stop? Can we stop? we got to sign autographs and stuff. And I'm like guys can we just go back to the hotel <laughs> and i said and it was the bus was one of those buses that if you push the the bottom of the the windows out if you weren't careful it cut your fingers off you know oh, those okay. buses yeah, yeah. and and i said we're we're not getting out of the bus we're here for 10 minutes but you got to reach out of the bus and sign autographs so we did that and finally i said okay you ready guys let's go home and as we're driving away from the rose bowl at the top of the ramp there's a 13 year old 12 13 year old hispanic girl running away with a pair of soccer shoes and I said who gave them the shoes and Brandy said me and I went Brandy were those the shoes you wore in the game she goes yeah I wasn't going to wear them again so the most famous left shoe in the history of women's soccer some some young gal in South Pasadena is is has those shoes the girl doesn't know and brandy has no idea what happened to those shoes oh my goodness on the rip your shirt off those were the rip your shirt off shoes right there second story so i go after the game and a guy you know hugo salcedo was the uh, match commissioner for that game and it's jorge's son from ucla and I I uh, take the ball that was that was one of the balls left over. I went to I went to Hugo and I said, "What are you doing with the balls?" Because now they keep them and they give them out as autographs to VIPs and stuff. And and he said nothing. You can take whatever you want. So I took one, and I went to the referee's locker room at the Rose Bowl. It was a Swiss gal that did the game, as you might remember. And she was she was dead, not literally, but figuratively. She was laying on a bag of ice on her head. She had just been wasted because of all the energy and how hot it was that day. And I think I took advantage of her, but I asked her if I could trade the game ball that she had, the one that she got after Brandy's penalty, with the one that I had. She didn't care. She just wanted a ball from the game. And I didn't tell this until Brandy years later that referees when they when they referee games they mark they put numbers on the ball you know one through ten so you keep track of them so you know that you've seen that before the game so you know the pressure's right all that kind of stuff you know the number on the ball that that brandy hit the penalty with six no way how about that brandy uses it now when she talks but she i didn't i didn't tell her that for about 20 years and yeah we've had that conversation. had to go in with her number right that's right it so, had to go in so when you ask about those kind of games those kind of things remind me of stuff like that being on the field with uh, us beating columbia and then what happened tragically you know with with that whole thing those are the things you remember about you know but i've just had such fun with brazil and and 
you know, Mexico games and El Salvador, 90,000 people at the, at the Coliseum. It's just fun. I can't picture you sitting idly back in 2026 when the World Cup comes. I don't know how old you're going to be then, but I can't see you not being involved in some way, Tom. Joe Cummings and I talk about it all the time. On the day of that, that announcement, he had about eight or ten. I probably had 12 or 15 people call me or write me, text me now, right? Email. <laughs> Today you text, right? Yeah. Uh, not in my day. And, and, they said, and they said, we want to be part of your team. And I said, the only thing that you're going to do in 2026, if you want to work with me, is take stuff out of my refrigerator and bring it to my chair. Because <laughs> I'm going to be, I think I'm seven, whatever I'm going to be, I'm going to be 77 or eight. Uh, no chance I'm doing that. I got... I've been lucky. I did all three in this country, all three, you know, the three Olympic Games and the three. Uh, so you're going to sit back and enjoy uh, it. Uh, yeah, those, the, the rule of thumb in the Olympics in particular, I mean, I, the World Cup's a little bit different, but in the Olympic Games, when I did 84 and uh, 88 in, in Korea and then 96 in Atlanta, which I think is the best professional work I ever did, the 96 one, which is the first women's gold medal game um most of the time in those situations after about day four it's get me the heck out of here because it's just so pressurized for a month yeah that it's you know it's really hard but it's it's very gratifying it's fun to be part of big events it's really tough as you know you when you do games you do a good game or a big game it takes a little while to get to get back to Oh, to, yeah. To level, doesn't it? Because oh, yeah. it, mentally, it's yeah, really... wound up. Yeah, it's, it's like you played it almost. It's, exactly. Yeah. So, and that's the way it was with me. It's just, you know, I loved what I was doing, but, you know, I was gone 140 nights a year back in the 90s when you and I were doing it. When you have kids, it's it's right. hard, you know? Yeah. yeah, you missed a couple moments. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, I know you got to go, but uh, I just emceed the Hall of Fame panel with Shellis Heinemann and Dr. Jay Martin, and they did talk about missing some family, but they also talked about they took uh, tremendous pride in a lot of their former players becoming coaches or doctors or lawyers or just great people and running nonprofits and stuff and you know for you somebody that like was there to see Pat Venderley and Amber Steele and some of these other folks does that make you proud as well you <laughs> I mean I mean Dave Linky you still shoot too much when we used to play pickup <laughs> you gunned it but you never passed the ball no no you was all Ohio guys you like shooting no, it, they but. call me E no D <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right no it's it's very gratifying I mean that's you're right it's like being a teacher. Or, I mean, I've got a lot of people on my ops tree that that I've you know that I've known a long time, and mutual friends of yours, you know, and mine, you know, Amber Steele in particular, just uh, one of the great human beings that you and I have, have yeah, met. And there's, and there's too. and there's and there's. I tell these guys at the at United Soccer Coaches all the time, the women's breakfast. I said there is nobody you know who is near 50. I won't tell you how old Amber <laughs> is. Near 50 that has worked for. As Jerry Yagley will tell you, the best student manager he had ever at Indiana. Mm -hmm. Best college program. She worked she worked for me, mm -hmm. for us. Yep. The best the first assistant I ever I ever hired. Then she went you know, and she she worked at Columbus in MLS. Right. Right? And FIFA. Then, and then and for a fact, I'll tell you two quick Amber stories. For a fact, she she <laughs> she did an event or she was with ISL at the time and and people will tell you that she's been in a meeting where she said to Sepp Blatter, I'm sorry, Mr. President, we're not doing that. <laughs> right? And another time, she was in her office at Coke. Story. As you know, she works for the most recognizable brand in the world now. Yeah, in, I got one right in front of me. Right, in Coke. <laughs> and she's in her office one day, she tells me, and her inner office phone lights up and it says, Chairman. It's the Chairman of Coke. 
she didn't know. I mean, it's like 17 levels above her. So she picks the phone up. She says, the guy says, Amber, I, I've got to go to Zurich next week. You're the only person in the building that knows Mr. Bladder. I've never met him. I've got to go talk about stuff. Would you come with me? Not you're coming with me. Would you come with me? Mm-hmm. So she goes. It's the three of them in the room. And when they're all done, the, the chairman says to Amber, wait outside for me all right, right there. And she's dying like, oh, my God, what have I said? What did I do? She thought she screwed up. And he came out and said, Miss Steele, I could not have done this without you. And that was the best prep I've ever had at any meeting I've ever done since I've been chairman of Coke. Wow. That is a great story. That's why I'm so happy that you're on, Tom. When it's all over, knowing everything you've done, what do you want people to remember you by? What, uh, what, what, what do you want them to say about you? Oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> Most of the time wasn't very nice in the that's old days. That's not true. Nah, I, I think, well, I like it. I'll use one from Lincoln. I'm a big Abraham Lincoln okay. fan. And, and during after the Civil War, somebody asked him about uh, the whole Civil War experience. And he said, I didn't so much as affect events as they affected me. Mm. And I just... I, I hope they understood that any of the things that we did independent, we had a small crew, as you know, when you were there with us. Uh, it wasn't a lot of people doing like they have now. And we were a really good team and family. And I think that that's what I remember is we had a good time. We love the game. And look at it today. I mean, is this, Amen. Is this crazy or what? It is crazy. And, and, and the thing you see, you see people of color and you see women. Yeah. And that never happened. I mean, I'm a 30, well, <laughs> I think I'm 30-some th- years. And I think a couple of years ago when Joe Cummings, our good friend, was going to send me my 35-year pin, he sent me <laughs> seven five-year pins. Did he really? <laughs> just, a, <laughs> just a Yankee. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, there you go. Uh, 35, that's I, awesome. I appreciate it. I mean, it's, we, we did it just because it was fun, and it, it sure beats working. It does. It does. And one thing I love about you, man, always on time, always structured, and we're right on time here. You got to get to your wife. You said five. I'm going to shut it off at five. I could go all day, though, Tom, so I'll have you back, okay? Yeah, we tell some stories. Indeed, we could. Good to catch up with Tom Meredith, and what a great opening segment with Hank Steinbrecher. Special thanks. Thanks to Jim Froslid for joining in as well. I especially want to thank Sean Chevro and Mike Knipper. And got to give a shout out to Lynn Burling Manuel. She's making it a mission to go out and spend some time with Hank Steinbrecher as well. And I know she's going to appreciate the comments from Hank about what happened in the past and where the future is, particularly with U.S. soccer. Hank Steinbrecher, the longtime secretary general for U.S. soccer, who's got a good attitude about his current health situation. But if you can, if you would. Please have him in your thoughts as uh, we want Hank around for a long, long time. He was that important to the game. For each and every one of you, I'm Dean Linky. Thanks for listening to another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap.